R-E-S-T-E-R-A-R-A-U. R-E-S-T-A-U. I'm just going to Google food place. <laughs> Welcome back to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And we are uh, back in America after our trip to France. Oh where my we God. learned all, all about our dream detecting. House exchanging. Step counting. Francophile, Francophile. Nancy Drew. Boy, the French, what a hot people. Wee oui, wee. Oui. I know their nine is neuf. Yeah, that will feature heavily. <laughs> so today's mystery comes to us via dream. Yes. We've had mysteries come from a lot of places, but this is the first mystery that someone dreamed about. I think we find in the world of Nancy Drew, all dreams have very real world representations. Yes, because she has the, had a the f- ruby dream. A few dreams that meant something, yeah. They always have very solid real world interpretations. And this one comes specifically from one trauma in one 40-year-old woman's life. Yeah, in Nancy Drew's world... The subconscious is just, like, very linked to the conscious. And I'd say that's true of nobody more than Nancy. Somehow I'm not surprised that in a book in which subtext Mm -hmm. hardly exists, the world has subtext barely existing. It cements Nancy's godlike status. The information comes to her in a dream. Yes. More about that later. True, yeah. Truly, <laughs> truly, Nancy is the uh, Joseph of this Old Testament. How exciting, Nancy! Your dad really wants Bess and me to go to France with you? Nancy's tomboy friend exclaimed over the telephone. When do you think is the last time Nancy's gone anywhere without these two? Never. They need to be used to this. Keep your passports on you, because if I'm going, you're going. Keep it in your purse. I, as a kid, identified as a tomboy. I was so excited when I learned that term. Uh, I saw in the pictures, George has a very short haircut. Like, shorter, I think, than I've seen in any of them. I think tomboy was what a lot of non-binary people probably called themselves. Oh, yeah. Yes, George. To help us solve a couple of mysteries. We're not inviting you for fun, right? It's, there's going to be a mystery. George says, can you at least give me a hint? I know I have to wait to dinner to hear the details of this case. Nancy Drew laughed. My case involves a weird dream. A dream? George exclaimed. Hypers! Yep. And what's your dad's case about? Her dad's case is even more top secret. The Case of the Frightened Financier. I think which would have been a, probably a better name for this book. Bess says, please, please don't get me into any scary situations the way you have in your other mysteries. Nancy grinned and put an arm affectionately around Bess. I can't promise, but we've only seen her do this a few other times. I feel like it's the only sympathetic gesture Nancy has in her repertoire. There's a French word. (laughs) It's been a really slow growth getting used to Nancy showing and engaging in both affection and actually treating her friends like friends. (laughs) But I think we're at a point now where you can expect, you know, teasing or joking or affection. Well, George says, of course you can't promise there won't be danger. Besides, 
That's, that's the fun. That's what makes solving mysteries so exciting. So Bess and George seat themselves in front of a crackling fire. You know, it's been a very cold June here in it's, River Heights. There's no way any June is cold. <laughs> Wait, when did River Heights become Alaska? Like, what are you talking about? It is at the point that they had to have a fire and they had to justify it that I was like, okay, this fire is significant for some reason. Chekhov's crackling fire. Yeah. When Chekhov puts a gun into the chapter, in two sentences it's fired because he can't wait. Nancy stands with her back to the fire to tell the big news about her two cases. She also tells them, guess what? Two French girls are joining us for dinner. They're going to stay here in River Heights. And we're going to go live in their house for a while in France. The early version of Airbnb (laughs) is trade houses. Yep. And housekeepers, I guess. You girls and I will be exchange guests. George chuckled. Will I be in exchange for a boy? What is that? (laughs) Every time I see an attempt by George or Bess at any level of self-deprecating humor, it mostly comes off really sad. You guys, who's telling you these things? Well, to me, it comes off in this case like, can I please be the man in this relationship? Laughingly, Nancy replied, they're girls. (laughs) Marie and Monique Bardot. Feature. Nancy's mystery comes to us from Mrs. Blair, the aunt of Marie and Monique Bardot. She lives in River Heights, a lovely woman. We love her. Uh, Her house is too small for everyone to live in. A very small apartment house. That's why the Bardot sisters are going to stay with Hannah while they visit their aunt. And that's why they're at dinner. This aunt has been having a reoccurring nightmare. Yeah, here's this awkward wording for you. Mrs. Blair is the person with one of the mysteries. Mine. She asked me to solve it. (laughs) Well said. I mean, if it's your mystery, I assume you've been asked to solve it. Don't assume that of Nancy Drew. (laughs) Like, there's no reason for the people to be involved. That's true. Bess is dismayed. Mrs. Blair shouldn't be having more trouble. After all, her husband and son were killed in that car accident. You remember that car accident, right? It's so blunt the way she says that. She's like, oh, it's, it's a shame she's having a mystery since her family's dead. The next sentence is even better. Now she has a sprained ankle. As if that's on the same level. And now her son died and now her ankle is sprained? (laughs) And now she's having nightmares? Oh. I would for sure have nightmares were those my circumstances. Absolutely. I wouldn't be like, I wonder if I've got childhood (laughs) trauma. I mean, if your childhood trauma is going to surface, it would be... That's what it's going to surface. Those deaths are not connected to the mystery. (laughs) That's not part of this. This is another kind of trouble, Nancy told the cousins. It's weird. Every night, Mrs. Blair has a horrible nightmare and wakes up with her heart pounding. In her dream, she's blindfolded and about to fall down a long flight of stairs with someone whispering, 99 steps! Which, incidentally, I don't think we mentioned is the name of this book. Is the title of the book, yes. The 99 Steps. Mm -hmm. Very to the point for a Nancy Drew title. Yeah. That's exactly what it's about. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I can't imagine how many times I'd have to have the same nightmare before I call a private detective about it. How horrible, Bess murmured. But, put in practical George, at least it's only a dream. 
what's the mystery? Right. <laughs> like, Screw off, George. This is the mystery. That's it. That's the mystery. <laughs> Mrs. Blair knows that she did have this experience or a similar one as a very young child. There's some reality this is rooted in. We eventually find out it was when she was three years old. And she's from France. Yeah. So if Nancy Drew's going to be there, you know, hey, while you're in France, do you mind popping by everywhere to check for 99 steps? Yeah, find out what my childhood trauma is rooted in. Do you mind popping by? I need some closure. While you're at the store. (laughs) As evidence that this is true, there is a letter that comes from France, written in French, that warns Mrs. Blair... Tell no one about the 99 steps. Monsieur Neuf. Of all the times a Nancy Drew villain has ever made absolutely clear that crime is occurring by threatening someone who barely knows about it, this has to take the cake. Yeah, why'd you do that? Take the pastry. Uh, They wouldn't have even known if the dream was real. Can you imagine being like, uh... The level of paranoia, because it wasn't even about a crime. That's what I assumed the whole time, is that we were going to find out that he didn't want her telling the dream because he'd done something bad in in this traumatic memory. Yeah, like he someone down 99 steps or something. No. No. He just wants his secrets kept. Yeah, just in general. (laughs) And this woman, I mean, she's got to be, we discussed this, 30, 40 years old. Mm. And this happened when she was three. So this is a four-decade-old dream. It's a cold case. he's threatening her over. It's definitely a cold case. Mr. 9A, best murmured, giving us an immediate translation and a catchy nickname for the rest of the book. Though Monsieur Neuf is also nice. This is up there in the villain names, I think. It's a really good one. It's not his real name. It's what we're going to call him. Yeah. So Nancy turns her back to Bess and George to poke at the fire with a poker. Like, good detail work here with the writing. (laughs) And suddenly, the three girls were startled by a loud whirring noise. A helicopter, George cried out. A whirly bird. It's awfully close. The girls listened tensely, knowing it was against a River Heights ordinance for any aircraft to fly so low over the residential area. They know their ordinances. Was the pilot in trouble? I'll tell you who's in trouble. Anyone with an open flue and a fire going. (laughs) An instant later, a strong downdraft of air burst from the chimney. It sent sparks, soot, and ashes over Nancy and into the room. Oh, Nancy, Bess screamed. So they have to literally pat out the sparks in her hair and on her sweater and on the fr- on the carpet. Mm-hmm. Hannah comes into this scene and is just dismayed, obviously. Wouldn't you be? She just cleaned in here. <laughs> what i'm thinking also it probably smells like burnt hair and that's a hard smell to get out oh yeah that pilot ought to be reported george thought angrily and they bothered to tell us that she thought it but then she goes and tells everybody it so why didn't they just have her say that out loud to begin with i don't know i love when they have people think (laughs) things angrily and nancy agreed i'll drive out to the airport tomorrow morning to see about it I got a man to see about a helicopter. Nancy Drew knows when and how to carry him. <laughs> the illustrations in this book are just rich. I think. Yeah, they are. They, some of these illustrations lately, I feel, have been uh, coloring book level. But these, there's, there's weird details. Just like the writing. 
Honestly, it, it's a good mirror of the writing being yeah. more detailed. During all of dinner, Nancy does not refer to her father's case. And Bast and George know it's confidential, but they sure would like to know what it is. Because this dream thing seems a little fishy. <laughs> Nancy herself was thinking that she would tell them when she drove them home. They eat a luscious looking lemon meringue pie. Yum. I assume the rest of the meal was bad. Because <laughs> they do not mention it. That's funny. Nancy goes to answer the door because the doorbell rings. Oh, right. And here he is. A man wearing a half mask. What is this? I tell you, the, the theming of Mr. Nine and what it means <laughs> to be him is so messy. He seems like out of a dream himself. Well, I just think he's deciding who he wants to be as he goes. Mm. He's like... No one will suspect me if I put on a half mask and fake a limp. <laughs> sure. This is the home of the Drews, he asks. And Nancy, being smarter than we've seen her a lot of times being, figures he might try to get in and starts to lean against the door. Yeah. He does not try to get in. He just hands her uh, an envelope. This man, one of the reasons he seems like a dream to me is how grotesquely he's described. He was tall, with exceptionally long arms and feet. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> they referred to him as the long-armed man at one point. It's like a kindergartner no, drew him. Yeah. Yeah. He's just the home of the Nancy Also, he was wearing heavy leather gloves. Why was the man wearing heavy leather gloves in June? Because it's been an unseasonably cold June, Nancy. Why did you have a fire in your fireplace? Same reason. So Nancy decides there might be some chemicals involved. There might be chemicals inside the envelope. Yeah, she like checks it for anthrax before she opens it. <laughs> she wears heavy leather gloves in order to open it. In the end, with what the book's about, it makes sense. Because the book focuses on alchemy and chemistry. But she doesn't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> She's being smarter than she has been in the That's past. That's true. There is no poison in there. No. The envelope is typed, and it is typed as well, the, the note. Uh, and it says, stay out of France, Monsieur, Monsieur Neuf. So she calls Mrs. Blair and says, by the way, that note you got, that threatening note from Monsieur Neuf, which you... Uh, threw away immediately because you hated it she was so scared i love it when they're scared <laughs> so scared of their clues they throw them away yeah was it by any chance typed on a typewriter oh not just any typewriter but a french typewriter <laughs> as you know the keys are different well my note was written on an american typewriter he must have an american confederate an accomplice <laughs> and they always do Every criminal has one person in River Heights at all times. They all do. This is when she asked Mrs. Blair to stay with Hannah. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Blair's like, I'm not even worried about myself. I feel like you're taking a lot of risk here. Nancy says, oh, don't worry, Mrs. Blair. Every I, mystery comes with risk. I must take risks when solving a mystery. It's the way I do it. Usually she says, no, I'll be fine. So I like that she's admitting. <laughs> Some traps and scary situations in which she had found herself flashed through the young detective's mind. You just imagine her there with that, like, thousand-mile stare. <laughs> as, like, would they, like, in movies, they'll do, like, a projector on the face of all the things flashing <laughs> through her head. This is where they tell us about her past adventures. Yeah. 
Monique and Marie also don't want her to go to France, thanks to this threatening letter. I definitely was thinking at this point, like, how often Nancy Drew's clients will say, oh, I, you know, there's danger for you, don't do it. And I was just wondering, like, what if once she was just like, yeah, okay, and no mystery. For sure, if it was a TV series, there would be an episode in which she decided not to take the risk and stay home for whatever reason. Probably then, an angsty one. And then that's where the mystery is. Yeah. <laughs> Nancy realizes that Monsieur Neuf does not want her to go to France. But I'll go just the same, says Nancy. Dad wants me there. Besides, I have a job to do. <laughs> like, yeah, we know. That's what, that's the, yeah, the whole book's about that, Nancy. Well, I do think it's interesting that she defers to her father. Yeah, I like later when she's like, he just gets lonely without me. Yeah. And I think it's equally true of what she's doing with all these mysteries around the world. Now, finally, she's driving Bess and George home and she can tell them about her father's case. The case of the frightened financier. Oh, French. Well done. <laughs> I don't know if that's right at that's all. Right. His name is Monsieur Charles LeBlanc. And that's the mystery, is he's frightened. Why? These are the two most tenuous mysteries. They're both, they're frightened. Why? <laughs> right? Like, Mrs. Blair is frightened of this thing that happened in her childhood. Why? This financier is apparently selling all his stuff. Uh, taking all of his investments out, basically bringing France to its knees economically. And if he goes on much longer, he's going to ruin the whole country. It's all going to go belly up. The, like, the stakes are high. Greece is going to be able to buy France at this rate. <laughs> Probably the rest of the world will collapse after France does. It's a very delicate system that all balances on France. Carson Drew is very important. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's fun opposites because one mystery is about a woman who doesn't know what she's scared of and wants help. And the other is about a man who does know what he's scared of but doesn't want the help. <laughs> Nancy Drew is telling Bess and George this and Bess says dreamily, French, French man. man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird like allusion in this book to French people being hot. Yes. Well, Which, I mean, that's pretty American to think French people are hot. But it's so clearly disproven by the long-armed man. <laughs> that's, that's different. That's a villain. Yeah. French there's villain. two types of French men. Yeah. There's two types of French people. There's the hot ones, and there's the Quasimodos, if you know what I mean. Yes. But I also love the idea, because all she's been told about this man is that he <laughs> is rich, is wealthy rich. enough to that his... Taking his money out of his investments is ruining the country. Yeah, it sounds hot to me. I mean, but also that he's frightened. I like a Dom Bess, right? <laughs> oh, a little, a little scared French boy? <laughs> I can handle that. Luckily, he lives in a chateau very close to the one they're going to get to stay in, mm -hmm. which is also very close to the place that the childhood trauma occurred. It's not a big country. <laughs> it is a pretty small country. How big is France? Like, is it the size of Texas? Oh, it can't be. Iowa, maybe. You want me to look this yes. up? Yes. <laughs> Let's see whether Carl is correct or I am more correct. Yeah, it's Texas. It's, te it's about the size of Texas? Uh, France is roughly the same size as Texas, but you could comfortably stuff Switzerland in alongside it. I win this so hard. Yeah, you, you know do. that, right? You do. Okay, 
Oh, the other thing that's at stake, you know, aside from the country being closed down, the big old for sale sign put on France, (laughs) Charles Leblanc owns a factory. The jobs. Look at all those people out of work. Yeah, it is. That is specifically mentioned. And as an anti-capitalist, it's so funny (laughs) to hear like the weird hypocrisy of we need to do something to stop this man from selling his factory and putting thousands of people out of work. Uh So is it his duty or obligation to provide jobs or are we grateful that he's a job provider? What is our feeling about these people who have the money? Within the book, it's pretty consistent that Charles LeBlanc is messing up. Like, he's doing things he shouldn't do. But we love him. He's good at heart. Throughout the Nancy Drew books, I think there is a strong, vaguely socialist feeling about it. I'm not a historian, but certainly unions aren't what they once were. Anytime we talk about a a factory going under or a rich person selling something, it often is like, and look at the jobs we'll lose. That is not fair. Nancy Drew is very aware of class and money. A part of that is often that she is being a little bit of a Robin Hood, redistributing the wealth. Aware of the hierarchies, but it's not critical of the hierarchies. Mm -mm. You have a role to play. And if you have the money to have a factory, your role is job creator. Mm -hmm. Now, does that come with a chateau made and maybe even a college full of boys that'll call you uncle? Sure. But still, you have a role. You have a responsibility. Yeah. Nancy, whether it's her approach to class or her approach to gender, it's always very lacking because she doesn't acknowledge her privilege and she doesn't acknowledge the need to change the system. Well, sure, because it's not privilege. It is her place. Yeah. It is the place of classless people not to act more sophisticated than they are. And it's the place of the rich to provide jobs. Mm. Do the thing that you're meant to do in the place you were put. It's almost very Shakespearean in that aspect. Like, where you can directly tell who's the villain if you break down how they've handled money. Sure. Or how they've handled their gender role. Sure. Well, we've said it before, the word, the biggest sin in Nancy Drew is to want more money than you have. And the second biggest sin is to be manly as a woman. So as Nancy is driving home from dropping Bess and George off, a man limps into the middle of the road. God, I love this. Forcing her to stop her car. And then he says in a strong French accent... Help me, I am sick. And he falls to the ground. (laughs) Nancy's first instinct, of course, was to assist him. But thank God for her second instinct, not to. She reached for the door locks and snapped them. Girls, don't get out of your car. Lock your doors. And drive around the sick man in the road. She does notice as she drives past him that he is the same man with the long feet and arms. And she does flag down an officer and let him know about the situation, just in case the man is in fact sick. And she watches in her rearview mirror as the man just gets up and goes to the side of the road. Still, there's no funnier scene in my mind than Nancy slowly creeping her car around (laughs) a tiny man in the road being like, I don't know, a little French for me. As she tells Monique and Marie about this, Nancy is acutely aware That they may be wondering if all American households were as full of excitement as this one. Maybe not all of America, but all of River Heights. 
Yeah. I mean, the gang activity alone. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Think about it. Every crime that exists everywhere has a counterpart criminal. Oh, here in River Heights. In River Heights. It's bad. <laughs> Great for the economy, though. So the French girls sing some old madrigals from their hometown in France, and they just have the most silvery, wonderful voices you've ever heard. It's truly a delight. The next morning, Nancy follows up by finding out the private helicopter company who's responsible for the helicopter that singed her hair. Yeah, she says, I'm going to drive out to the airport and have a word with your manager. A young man at a desk had to be prompted twice before replying to Nancy's question. He kept staring with a smile at the French girls. Mmm, French women. (laughs) Comically overly sexual European, like, Mm. oh, it's just them. And then they're just in the corner being, like, really hot. Mm, Wearing maid outfits. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's it. Thank you. Just wearing maid outfits and going, ah, pa-pa-pee. Oh, yes. A man was up with me yesterday. The one who's going to build the helipad on your roof. I want you to back up for a minute, sir. (laughs) Nancy stared at him and said, You're kidding. Kidding, the girl says. He rolled his eyes around and shrugged his shoulders. No, this is for real. (laughs) You know, helipads, roofs. How is that going to work with the River Heights Ordinance? If we start having helipads on our roofs. Oh my god, that's (laughs) clearly not my job. (laughs) Nancy realizes he was the victim of a hoax. She decided to get cagey in her questions. Who told you, she asked. Why the man I took up? Guess you know him. James Chase. You know, James Chase, (laughs) helicopter pad builder. Was he from the, er, company that's going to build the helipad on our roof? (laughs) Sure, yeah, I guess you know it. (laughs) Helipads Incorporated. He showed me a letter from the A.B. Helicopter Construction Company, signed by the president. That's right, guys. Our villain is a forger. (laughs) That's all well and good, but be careful when you fly over my house. You singed me. Yeah, he just can't be very good at his job. Gosh, I'm sorry about that. He's got, like, what amounts to a lemonade stand in the airport. Like, I I bought a helicopter. Anyone want to ride? He's got real Fred Jenkins vibes. Yes, he does. As do the villains in this one. The villain had him fly close to the house, and I guess the idea is to spy? Yeah. But on the, what, what, how many frisbees they had on the roof? Like, what, <laughs> what do you get out of that, you know? Maybe his full intention was to burn the house down. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that, that's I, almost too clever by half. Like, oh, I bet they've got a fire going. It's a chilly June day. I'm just saying it's really new in the last few books whether the villains are intelligent or not. Yeah. Suddenly, intelligence becomes part of villainy. And, and a villain is either somebody who's very stupid or somebody who's brilliant most likely it's someone who's brilliant manipulating stupid people yeah right like that's, that's become the new trend that's how i got into this podcast i feel like it became it was a trend already but it became more clear in the last few books well the pilot says i can tell you about how james chase looked he was a queer looking duck please describe me to anyone who asks how i look as your queer looking duck of a partner. I do. I do that. He's about 55 years old, real long face and arms and feet, limped a little. So 
to add to the horror, like, this guy is the guy from that Scream painting. Imagine, like, a Tim Burton character from, like, any of his claymated films. (laughs) Just, like, arms dragging on the ground, face flopping about. Apparently this is the first time anyone has bothered to describe the villain to the Bardot sisters. Oh, the long guy? (laughs) The long French guy? Yeah, he's... We know him. He was a gardener at a chateau of our friends. He was discharged for not being honest. Generalized villainy. Suspected of stealing large sums of money from several shops. And we remember him because he was so odd looking. You should have seen what was behind the mask. His first name was Claude, but we don't know his last name. It's time to bring Chief McGinnis in on goings on. The middle-aged, rugged-looking officer a good friend of the Drews, greeted them all with a warm smile. I'm glad to meet your French visitors, Nancy. (laughs) All right. A little too much warmth. Confusingly, the Bardot sisters are supposed to write home asking about Claude's last name. Yeah, write to your friends who had him as a gardener. But don't worry, I'm going to postmark it from Nancy's house so your friends don't think you're in prison. Yeah, and also he's going to send it. Yeah. You get it expedited. You know, he's a cop. <laughs> well, then they all take some time out to sightsee the Muskoka River. Beautiful this cold June. It maybe doesn't live up to France, but you know, it's nice. By the time they get home, they've already received a reply to their letter. And <laughs> the last name is Aubert. Claude Aubert? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Whereabouts unknown. Yeah, it was very, like, a very official letter from their friends. <laughs> Nancy remarks, won't he be surprised when the River Heights police pick him up t has he crimed yet i don't know it doesn't matter well Bess calls nancy up and is like you have got to get some kind of act together get your act together nancy and nancy's like what the heck are you talking about Bess? i do not appreciate your tone this is the night the teeners club entertains the towners club Bess. What deranged nonsense are you talking about? If the towners are disappointed, then what are the teeners even doing? You can't let those elderly towners feel sad while us teeners still have energy in our beating hearts. Remember, says Bess, you said you couldn't do it. Because tomorrow morning you're leaving for France. (laughs) Nancy says, yeah, I still can't do it. But she could have. There's this whole thing where she convinces Bess pretty easily to have the Bardot sisters sing their madrigals. And she does this because she has to pack and she still wants to get some more information from Mrs. Blair. But this is what ends up happening. Okay, because Nancy ends up packing in the morning. Yep. Visiting Mrs. Blair, but leaving Mrs. Blair early. So she could see the Madrigal Sisters <laughs> so sing. So she could see them sing the song that she already saw them sing last night. Yeah. And which, like, if she's there anyways, she could do a number. Even if they still sing, she could go after them or before them. Maybe if Bess was pulling her weight a little bit more in these mysteries, <laughs> Nancy would be willing to help her. The Bardot Sisters get dressed up in, like, French... Costumes. Costumes. Complete with wigs that they powder to look like... (laughs) Like old-timey. Old-timey French (laughs) ladies. Bess doesn't just get an act. She gets a closing act. Uh Hannah even gets to come along in her becoming navy blue dress. The implication is that she only gets to go to things that Nancy's in. 
I was thinking of seeing the new Marvel movie. Really, Hannah? Nancy, meanwhile, does go visit Mrs. Blair. Mrs. Blair has been reading old diaries that she found. These diaries are from her mom. All she knows is that she did have a nanny around the time that this occurred. All she knew her nanny by, all she remembers is Mademoiselle. She did give the names of several chateaux that the diaries referred to. Chateau Lore was mostly in ruins. It says the place was haunted by a ghostly alchemist who carried on his work there. You know, Nancy, in olden times, people were suspicious about chemists and their experiments, and they were forbidden by law to work their miracles. So now we get a whole lesson on alchemy, the secrets of alchemy, the code words involved in secretly doing alchemy. Alchemy is the lesson of the book. It's the thing we're going to learn about. And yeah, apparently chemists are very secretive people. They, they were basically prohibitionists. Like, <laughs> they're going to little alchemy speakeasies. I mean, these are Christians in Roman times. <laughs> Two sides of a fish and all that. The Red King stood for gold. The White Queen for silver. I don't understand the meaning of the crow. But the Green Lion, he's a bad one. He devours the sun, or in other words, he's acid making the silver or gold look green. That's fascinating, Nancy exclaimed. We have wandered off the subject of our mystery, Nancy. (laughs) But actually, I didn't find any other clues to my dream or the 99 steps incident of my childhood. Good luck! (laughs) Nancy does make it to the show in time to see the Bardot sisters sing. However, she isn't able to really enjoy it because who does she see in the front middle row but Claude... Stretch Armstrong. Claude O'Bear. The long-armed man. I must get the police before he leaves, Nancy thought. So she does. Claude goes backstage and threatens the sisters. And then best of all, the police who were there to to catch him disappear. And then the police department's like, Why, we haven't heard from them. We don't know. They could be dead. Um, and it's not until that night when Nancy Drew's burglar alarm goes off that she finds that he was arrested trying to get into her house. So the evidence becomes that he ran. And tried to break into her house. And we for 100% know that he threatened the sisters. Yeah. Because, like, the notes, he could have just been delivering those, I guess, but... He walked up to the sisters, he said, hello, I'm the long-armed man, and I'd rather you didn't let Nancy go to France. (laughs) You will suffer, and she will too. Yeah. Our criminal element is really heavily getting Nancy involved by threatening her not to. But indeed, she does catch him because of her burglar alarm that she's very glad to have. Like, there was no reason for them to be chasing no. him. But they specifically wait until he jimmies open her window and tries to get in, and now they've got him. They literally follow him until they get something. This is a return of a criminal feature we haven't seen in a while. He has black eyes. Yes, which he uses to stare with hatred. The man's lips moved, but no intelligible sounds came out. (laughs) A night in jail may loosen this man's tongue. He'll learn he can't run around threatening people. That's illegal here. (laughs) Better still, though, this isn't the end of the scary night. Nancy has a dream. Yes. She kept chasing after a man who carried a large sign reading, Beware M. Noof. Then a great crowd of people in old-fashioned costumes came swarming from the ruins of a chateau. 
they carried large bells, which they were ringing lustily. Those bells were the alarm bells. The lusty alarm bells of the burglar alarm. <laughs> no. Because while you would think that one burglary per evening is a River Heights maximum, not at Nancy's house. When the alarm goes off a second time, scaring away, I believe, the would-be intruder, mm-hmm. who after some search for clues, we realize was on stilts. Unless this is the small-footed man, he left the footprints of stilts. Eventually, when they catch the guy, it's someone who was hired by Claude to break in. (laughs) So we just have a guy in River Heights who's like stilts for hire. I I do car commercials, I do parades, (laughs) and I break into people's houses. Whatever you need. And he he didn't get to hand-deliver this like large plasterboard sign or whatever that says... Beware the green lion. Nancy discovers it in her rearview window of her car. Where the hell do I put this? (laughs) I'm on stilts. This is tough. Monsieur Neuf, Mr. Nine, or the green lion? Or just Claude Aubert. Detective Braun shows up to tell us this wasn't the stunt of a kid on stilts. It's a real warning. (laughs) Thanks, Detective Braun. Finally, Nancy, George, and Bess are away to France. They're on an airplane. As soon as they can, they unbuckle their seatbelts. They didn't know that they had two break-ins last night. Nancy almost intentionally didn't let them know until she had them on the plane. Too late, Bess. You're in. (laughs) You're in. Bess said worriedly, more trouble. Now with a green lion? George snorted. Sounds ridiculous to me. The alchemist who worked on that code lived hundreds of years ago. Green Lion? That's nonsense. The alchemist is dead. (laughs) You might as well say, Mr. Nine, that's nonsense. Nine is a number. Like, that's... You're not saying anything. Carson Drew greets them at the airport in France. I've been mighty lonesome without you, Nancy, he says. Nancy laughs and tells him that she already has one villain in jail. Just really rubbing it in that she's ahead of him in this whole mystery-solving game. It is remarkably quick. We don't often start the book (laughs) with someone in prison. Mr. Drew has been spending some quality time with Monsieur LeBlanc, the frightened financier. But he is tight-lipped. He is, and while Carson finds him very pleasant... He also doesn't think he's a very hard worker. Now they're off to visit Notre Dame because George specifically wants to see the The gargoyles. (laughs) We learn a lot about the Notre Dame Cathedral. But what we also learn is to get up real high to see a view, you have to go up a staircase that is very narrow. Let me tell you, more than 99 steps on this baby. Nancy counts them. Oh, she counts. To be, I want everyone to know, anytime... Nancy <laughs> walks up to porches in this book, counting steps. She does not miss a, a beat. Bess remarks as they're going up this stairway, I hope nobody comes the other way. Bad news, Bess. Who comes the other way? Not just any woman, a fat one. Overweight, inconsiderate... Probably American. She doesn't just hurriedly squeeze past our protagonists. She does so with the force necessary to nearly knock them down the stairs. Kind of Domino's style. Yeah. Luckily, Carson is strong enough to hold them all up. Hold the whole group up. But they all almost go down. He Even he could barely do it. You would imagine that that would also 
take down the overweight woman. Like, you don't want that to happen. You don't she want... She is an enormously fat woman. Yeah, you don't want four people to fall into you from behind. But she is the entire width of the staircase. Yeah. I imagine she's got some friction. <laughs> well, then they're not in any danger. <laughs> they're just going to fall into a nice, soft woman. <laughs> no, but it's it's pretty funny, and they, they're very... I mean, they're mean about it. They're a little bit mean about, like, well, I hope no more overweight people. But you know what, Hope? What? This woman got to the top of the stairs. I'm going to say that for her. (laughs) This enormous woman had the power to take her 500 pounds all the way to the top of Notre Dame. And that's pretty badass. I 100% thought she was going to be one of the villains. Yeah. And she is not. She's not. She's just a random tourist. Uh, I do think that she was put into contrast with Bess. I like, mean, yeah. This is the real problem. Bess isn't that bad. Bess is just plump. She's a foodie. And that's, yeah, they portray her as a gourmet, much more of a foodie rather than an overweight person. Bess's commentary on the gargoyles is that they're so ugly they're almost handsome. Well, from on top of Notre Dame, Nancy notices a lookalike to Claude Albert down amongst the throngs of visitors. Who's that hideous man scraping his hands across the cobblestones? He must have gotten out of jail and somehow gotten over here as fast as we did. What the heck? How did he do that? (laughs) But later, she surmises, it's probably a twin. It's going to be a twin. (laughs) And what a shame that two French people have to look like this. She also feels strongly that these identical twins are working together. Nancy says, well, I have to call River Heights to make sure Claude is still in jail. Yeah. To see if they're twins. He is. He's still in jail. And he is. But someone is like, wait, is Claude in jail? And she goes, yes, he definitely is. But his twin's over here. Yeah, and he's following us. How do you know? You don't know you got Claude. You know you got one of them. Bess is like, do you think one calls himself the Green Lion? Probably. Yes. You know, good old Mr. Nine and the Green Lion. Sounds like a morning DJ crew. (laughs) Mr. Nine and the Green Lion. When they go to call Chief McGinnis, they separate from Bess and George, who get to do more sightseeing. And they end up getting to have a French pastry and hot chocolate at a little cafe in France. Little daddy-daughter date. Mr. Drew chuckled and said, wouldn't Bess be goggled-eyed over this pastry? Nancy grins. Extra layer of cruelty when it's Mr. Drew. If we assume that he's just saying, like, Bess would really enjoy these, it's very different. I see the modern equivalent to be like, oh, if Bess was here, she'd take an Insta photo of this. We are primed to take these things a little bit cruelly because they have been. You gotta give it side eye. Nancy asks the chief to ask Claude Aubert if he has a twin. Now the chief says he doesn't answer, which makes me think you're right. It's going to be a yes. By the way, his limp is phony. We knew it. When she comes back to the table, Mr. Drew says, you don't have to tell me. I can tell you think your guess is right now based off of this information. You can see the smug look in your face. Nancy laughed. I shouldn't wear my secrets on my face. So Nancy decides... A thing she often decides. If somebody's following me, I'm going to follow them. Yeah, I'm rubber and you're glue, baby. <laughs> and they go on a crazy chase, just running their hardest past all the sights. Until they're about to catch up with him, but a policeman stops them. Not Mr. Nine. Mm-hmm. And they have to explain the what whole you, thing. What are you up to running around France? 
He's a suspect trying to get away from us, Nancy says. Suspected of having a twin. Yeah. So this is basically the second time in this book. Nancy says, that guy is a criminal. And they say, of what? And she says, listen. (laughs) Yeah, because the officer's eyebrows lifted. Suspected of what, he asked. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. For a moment, Nancy was stumped. What did she suspect the man of? Finally, she said... He has been watching and following us. We want to find out why. I mean, that's pretty fair. But also, like, you're following him. I beg the pardon of the Americans, the policeman said, and waved them on. But it was too late. The long-armed man was jumping into a taxi. Pulling his arms in with him. Mention the name Aubert to the police officer. And then we find out, yes, you do have good reason to chase this guy around. Claude Aubert is a well-known forger in France. In fact, one of the main people he had forged the signature of was none other than Charles LeBlanc. LeBlanc. Nancy manages to get the address where Claude Aubert used to live from the police officer. You want our top criminals? You want to go visit their apartments? Can you tell me um, which way to the Eiffel Tower and the address of Claude Aubert? Mr. Drews suggests that they have lunch at one of the sidewalk cafes. It's too late now to go back to the hotel. Sure. That would be fun, Beth said eagerly. Some fine French food will step up my brain power. Would you like that, Nancy? (laughs) You'd like that, wouldn't you, Nancy? (laughs) What a weird thing to say. Her friend laughed. This mystery is becoming so complicated, I can use all the help you can give me. It's not complicated yet, but okay. And they all eat cheese souffle. Brain food. I love how the Louvre is just a stop on their way to this guy's apartment. Yeah. And I also love the description of the art. Yes. These uh, Americans really define art by what it lacks. The winged victory. She's the lady with the wings, but no head, isn't she? Asked George. Then you got the Venus de Milo. George chuckled. She's the beautiful lady without any arms. Where did she lose them? I haven't heard, the lawyer said with a grin, or I might look for them. What does that mean? What do you mean you would have looked for them? And the Mona Lisa gives Nancy a serene feeling. Much is said about the guards watching every single visitor. (laughs) Fast is the only one that comments. It would take us weeks to see everything in this museum, guys. And they're all like, yeah, but they're done in an hour. We saw the main three. Well, now they're off to the important part, the mystery. The mystery. <laughs> Weary, they decided to drive to Claude Aubert's former home. The concierge in charge of the apartment house was a rather gruff man of about 50. At first, he seemed unwilling to answer any of their questions about the forger. It was bad enough having the police come here disturbing me, he complained, growing red in the face. Who are you? (laughs) Now, there's only one way to deal with someone who doesn't want to answer your questions. (laughs) Nancy smiled disarmingly. And then ask him questions. Yes. (laughs) She She doesn't respond to his question. She just says, what's Claude's twin's name? Without hesitation, the concierge replied, Louis. Nancy could hardly keep from shouting her delight. Mr. Drew, Bess, and George also found it difficult to maintain calm expression. Where does Lewis live? Nancy asked nonchalantly. (laughs) Oh, out in the country. You know, Lewis is the bright one. Claude is a bit slow. He just does what his brother tells him to. Which I find very interesting because Claude's the one with the skill. 
Like, he's the forger. That's true. And it, and he's a savant. Yeah. We also find <laughs> out that Lewis is a scientist. That business with formulas and flasks and such is beyond me. Burn him at the stake, I say. Nancy's intuition told her they were getting nearer and nearer to an excellent clue. Again, she smiled at the concierge. <laughs> Would it be possible for us to see where Claude used to live? Nancy did not expect to find any clue at the apartment. Oh no, she wanted to count the steps up to the apartment. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Which were in fact 99. 99. Now, with the amount that this guy was addicted or, or obsessed with the number nine, do you think that he chose this apartment house based on... Solely on the 99 steps? I'm going to say no, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to say no because the amount of times she finds basically 99 steps (laughs) says to me that that's just how they're sorted in France. (laughs) They just have 99 steps everywhere because of the alchemy roots. Maybe. But also, at one point, Mm. they refer to a place having 100 to 103 steps. And what does Beth say? Close enough. Yeah. So I think that they might have fudged it sometimes. I think sometimes Nancy might have been like, 99. Well, the concierge will not let them into the apartment. Oh, there's someone living there. <laughs> oh, Nancy decides the number 99 may have been a signal between Louis and Claude. The green lion. But where does it fit in with Mrs. Blair's dream? The Drews and their companions had pretended to gaze with interest at the apartment door. Mm, 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 a forger, mm-hmm. you say? A forger lived behind this very good, door. Good, good, good. Well, <laughs> we better be going. When they leave, Mr. Drew says he has a surprise for the girls. There is a soiree being held that night in their honor. This is a chance for them to spy on Monjeu Charles Leblanc. Or at least meet him. If you can get as much information from Monjeu Leblanc... Carson Drew says, as you did from the policeman and the concierge, I'll buy you a special gift from Paris. I think if LeBlanc were as forthcoming as the policeman and the concierge, this would hardly be a mystery. Nancy laughed. I'll do my best to win it. Also, Carson's going to get her the present either way. Sure. Mr. Drew gets out of the taxi. He's helping Nancy out of the car. So she's half in, half out. All of a sudden, a car runs into the taxi. Despite her father's efforts to save Nancy, she was knocked off balance and thrown full force to the pavement. The impact also snapped Bess and George against the rear seat of the taxi. And then they fell onto the floor. Yeah, no seatbelts. The driver was also jolted, although less severely. A stream of furious French issued from his lips as he scrambled out, shaking his fists. The car responsible for the crash quickly backed up, then roared off down the street before anyone could get the license number. Somewhere Ned's saying, Do you think that was on purpose? Although badly shaken, the cousin's first concern was for Nancy. At first, she did not answer. She's lost her breath. And she also hurt her shoulder pretty bad. One of the few times Nancy gets hurt in a book and it sticks with her. George says that her and Bess are okay, just sore necks. Mr. Drew is concerned about them and says, we'd better give up the party. Let's go directly home. But Nancy, Bess, and George do not give up on a party. Especially if they get to interrogate a prime suspect. And listen, if there's a bathroom upstairs to get cleaned up in, we'll be good. Nancy insists they stay at the party. I just wish we'd seen the person who crashed into us. It certainly was deliberate. 
So the girls are shown to a room where they can get cleaned up. Not only that, but this party has a doctor at it. Yeah, the, the, the party doctor is called <laughs> upon. They are amused by this mural in the bathroom depicting French women sitting side saddle in their elaborate dresses on some hunting. horses. Yeah, hunting. Best comments, do you think they ever even rode horses or just posed for the picture? You gotta wonder. Nancy is okay, according to the doctor. She is prescribed an ice pack, not a steak. Medicine <laughs> has come a long way. Ice packs for everyone, in fact. Presently, Nancy declared, I feel all right now. Let's go down to the party. Best does Nancy's makeup, brushes her hair. Meanwhile, George cleans her dress off and removes anything that she can't dust off with some water. And Mr. Drew helps her down the stairs. We get to meet Monjour and Madame Tremaine. This is their party. Nancy tactfully doesn't mention that the party is in her honor. I mean, that's just dangerous. <laughs> Nancy finally meets Monjour LeBlanc, a tall, slender man with iron gray hair and mustache. He spoke English fluently. And uh, Nancy thinks he's hot. I mean, that's, Nancy, a, that's a dilf. Nancy thought he is handsome and has a charming smile. She does go for like the fatherly type, I think. There it is. His eyes beamed with admiration as he looked at Nancy. Ah, we Frenchmen pride ourselves on the good-looking women in this country, Miss Drew. But if Mademoiselle's Drew, Fane, and Marvin are examples of the young women in America... Perhaps our women have to take second place, no? Nancy adroitly brings the conversation into questioning. Nancy tries to get an invite out to their home to meet Madame LeBlanc. Mm -hmm. Very clever. Mm -hmm. And she's so close to being successful when right then the music starts to play and an opera singer with just an absolutely gorgeous voice sweeps everyone up. Yeah, and Charles LeBlanc disappears. She was so close to getting a look in that man's attic. <laughs> Her thoughts about Monsieur LeBlanc. He seemed attentive to the music, but I did notice that once in a while during the singing, he had a faraway look in his eyes. He's troubled, poor man. Bess, at this point, decides he's been hypnotized and is being coerced into selling all his stuff. Well, we have to remember, in this universe, hypnotism is very real. And it works. <laughs> Two debonair young men ask Bess and George to dance. Another young man was just making his way towards Nancy when Monsieur LeBlanc returned. Bowing low, he said, may I have the pleasure? Nancy did not want to dance. After all, her shoulder was very badly bruised. But she felt she could not miss this opportunity to talk with the financier. Nancy Drew will go through pain for her mystery. LeBlanc seems a bit suspicious about why Nancy's here. Nancy says, whenever dad's away from home, he misses me very much. My mother died when I was a child, and he and I have always been close pals. He asked me to join him here. Bess and George often go on trips with me. You see how, uh, you'll say that is an unhealthy relationship? <laughs> this is, uh, the heart of my suspicion? Mr. LeBlanc again excuses himself. George comes up to Nancy and says, I have something terribly important to tell you. I told my partner I'd be back in a few minutes. That's what you wanted to tell me? <laughs> See that man in Arabian dress standing in the doorway? 
Here it is. When Monsieur LeBlanc left you, I heard him say to the Arab, I told you not to come here or anywhere else unless we were alone. When I started this book, you know, Hope and I always hope that it's going to not be racist. <laughs> the first picture I see is a picture of this man in his keffiyeh. And it says, like, the Arab looked on angrily. Mm. And I'm immediately like, oh, God damn it. Yeah. Do you just call someone an Arab? Arabian? Arabic? Um, this man is none of those. It's just a French guy in the keffiyeh. It's a costume. Mm. It's not necessarily appropriate. And it's his way of doing crime. I just want to get that out of the way. So, like, there's a reason we're not going to refer to him as Iranian or Jordanian or Egyptian or any of the things you could be because he's just a French guy dressed like he's Arabic. This ties into the alchemist angle. So we all know there's the the kind of mysticism of race that uh, that is kind of a trope in media, whether it's, you know, the, the, the ancient secrets of the East or the, the wisdom of the older black person, we often assign this mystery in a kind of an inappropriate way. Well, interestingly, there is a lot of history of chemistry and alchemy in the ancient Islamic world that led to a lot of our modern science. So it's kind of a two-sided coin because obviously this guy is using this kind of mysticism of alchemy, which is more magic, uh, and basing it in like, oh, of course someone Arabic would know alchemy. But then he's also locking into something very real, which is like a lot of science and knowledge that comes from that part of the world. There is racial tension in France regarding Islam to mm. this day. This book's written so long ago, but that's the choice. That's the choice of minority to not necessarily villainize, but... Well, apparently the Arab replied, but nine is coming up. You must meet me. Monsieur LeBlanc answered, tomorrow, 99. Then the men separated. There's a lot of codes. We have enough to go on now to say for absolute sure, Charles LeBlanc is somehow in it with Mr. Nine. These cases are in fact related. The cases are connected. Listen, based on how many numbers there are, there's only a 10% chance that both, <laughs> that both cases are going to have the same number. Mm. There's only 10 numbers. Well, Mr. Drew is also interested in this new clue, but he tells Nancy, no more sleuthing tonight. You have been injured and you, you are doing too much, dear daughter. All right, dad, now may I make a bargain with you? This is so funny. He's wild. What is it? I'd like to shadow the Arab here. Just for a few minutes and see what I can find out, please. So he gives her 20 more minutes, but that's not a new bargain. That's the first bargain. Yeah. Changed. Yeah. Like, she's like, she's he's basically like, okay, bedtime, kiddo. And she's like, but counterpoint, what if not? Henry wants to dance with her. Henry uh, with an I, because he's French, of course. Henry Durant. Our first boyfriend of the book in a while. Yeah, no Ned. No mention of Ned in this whole novel. Just our French vacation boyfriend. As Nancy's dancing with this man, who is apparently a wonderful dancer, she just like looks around as if casually trying to find this Arab man in the crowd. She notices that he goes into the greenhouse. 
An idea quickly came to Nancy. I hope it works, she thought. Basically, she convinces Henry, and it's not too difficult, to bring her into the greenhouse. Because, like, honestly... It seems like a makeout spot. Yeah. Like, he's like, whoa, this is going really well for me tonight, right? Getting hot in the greenhouse. Henry was most solicitous. (laughs) They sit on a bench, and Nancy spots the Arab staring at her through the palms intently. (laughs) One of the creepier, weirder things he did... Was this man a new enemy of hers? Ooh, brand new enemy just dropped. She asks Henry, hey, do you know who that guy is? Henry's like, no, but I'll go find out. Puffs out his little chest. But as soon as he walks towards him, the man takes off running. That Arab certainly acts suspiciously. I mustn't let him get away without finding out who he is, Nancy thinks. Uncomfortable. Smiling, Nancy said to Henry, I want to speak to that Arabian man. This seemed to satisfy Henry. No. The Arabian man did not say goodbye to the Tremaines. So rude. That's so rude. You don't do that. She asked the doorman about him. The doorman says, like, I don't know him. I don't know his name. He had a legit invitation. What do you want from me? So Nancy urges her date to help her catch this man, but he drives away unaffected. The man, not the date. Yeah. She does see him in the glare of two street lamps take off his turban. And with it comes a wig and false whiskers. I guess the false whiskers were what was hiding the long face. The man was Louis Albert. (gasps) Mr. Nine! The white guy! (laughs) Is something the matter? Henry asked. That man was in a disguise. I have an idea he had no right to be at the party. We should tell the Tremaines. Do you think he is a thief? Henry looked perplexed. Is that why you wish to stop him? Nancy hesitated, then answered truthfully, I'm not sure, but I do have reason to suspect that the man is dishonest. Henry accepted her reply as if sensing Nancy did not wish to divulge anything else. The Tremaines frowned when they heard about all this. Obviously, the man had displayed very bad manners. The reason Monsieur Tremaine is involved is because he is one of the people who has become acutely aware of Monsieur LeBlanc's irresponsibility in business matters. Monsieur LeBlanc sold certain securities that very day and asked for all the money in in cash. cash. Oh, man. This man, by all accounts, is walking around with a roll of bills in his pocket. Strapped. Bess's eyes grew wide with excitement. You mean that perhaps the poor man is being blackmailed by Louis Albert? Carson Drew doesn't know about all that, but he does think there's some kind of secret dealing going on. Must be. Monsieur LeBlanc talks to them one more time and he seems perfectly natural. Nancy's brain was in a whirl. Nancy thinks that he's going to meet Mr. Nine at nine o'clock. Now the question is, is that going to be night out in the country at nine o'clock? Or is that going to be in the morning at nine o'clock in the city? We don't know. We'll never know. We'll have to check both. Even though they talk about it for over an hour, they all agree that the mystery is still very puzzling. Well, I'll see you all at breakfast, Carson says. And then he kisses each girl goodnight. Every one of the three. The level of uncomfort that I would have had as an 18-year-old girl if any of my friends' fathers had kissed me goodnight is is considerable. As Nancy undressed, getting ready for bed, she looked woefully at her bruised shoulder. 
It was black and blue. In the morning, her shoulder did feel better, although it was very sensitive to the touch. Nancy smiled. Just a little souvenir of Paris. <laughs> That's one you can get. It's a little badass, actually. I mean, it is badass, but like, it's not gonna last. Hopefully your arm will be better by the time you go home. Well, they find out that Monsieur LeBlanc was robbed of his roll of cash on his way home. <gasps> Somebody stopped his car and took his money. She can't solve every mystery. We've seen this before. She doesn't care if people get robbed of their necklaces or their wads of cash. So long as those dreams get solved. The suspicion is immediately, was it a robbery or was it not? But it ends up, it was. Just was. And that's why I think it's more of like a moral tell about like, don't take out all your securities in cash and roll them up in your pocket. That is one of my favorite Aesop's fables. Yeah. Nancy spoke up. One thing we haven't followed up about, Louis, is his being a scientist. My hunch is he's a chemist. I mean, that would only make sense. It works with what has been happening. Well, they're back to sightseeing. Nancy spots a musical coffee pot, which she's going to buy for Hannah Gruen. What a terrible gift from France. Mm -hmm. A musical coffee pot? <laughs> That's not what you want? I won't get you one. What sharper image nonsense is that? Like, <laughs> did you get that on Sky Mall? Ridiculous. So Mr. Drew tries to follow Charles LeBlanc after work to see if he goes and meets somebody at 9 p.m., but... That Paris rush hour traffic just makes it impossible. Everybody's going to the Eiffel Tower. Nancy sighed. She was very disappointed. Bess asks, do we eat now? What's the, what's the plan? I, you know, I, did I hear someone else mention? I think someone else was asking. They went to a cheerful restaurant. Bess regarded the menu suspiciously. Snails, she exclaimed. And fish served whole? I just can't stand to look at the eyes of a fish on a platter. Mischievously, Nancy pointed to another item. Why not try this, Bess? It's very popular here. Raw beef mixed with chopped onions and an uncooked egg. Bess was horrified. That's even worse! Wait till Bess finds out that everything was cooked by a man with a rat on his head. <laughs> the others laughed, and George said, why, Bess Marvin, I thought you were a gourmet. You don't want raw beef, you gourmet. Sorry, said Bess. I'll stick to a good old cream of tomato soup, medium well done roast beef, potatoes, asparagus, salad, some cheese, and then fruit. George looked at her cousin disapprovingly. You'll be bursting out of your clothes within three days if you eat like this. You can't have fruit all the time. As a compromise... Bess said she would not have the soup. Now, Bess, do not compromise with George's idea of what you should do in terms of food consumption. You're in Paris. If you want to eat the goddamn fucking cream of tomato soup at this French restaurant that somehow sells that as well as snails, please do. Most of that's healthy shit. Yeah. Like, most of that is healthy. Even cream of tomato soup... I, how much cream are they putting in? It's, all, it's mostly cream. It's <laughs> the French version. Now they all go to Monsieur LeBlanc's chateau to basically spy on him. Carson just kind of joins them for most of this mystery. 
Like, they are pals. This one is his mystery, so they're really helping him out here. What you imply Mm -hmm. is that when Carson's in other cities, he's not just buying newspapers. He's sneaking around people's houses. That's what detectives do, Carl. And lawyers are just detectives. Detectives, yeah, with with a law degree. (laughs) We're just detectives who pass the bar, baby. (laughs) Mr. Drew, in order to not be spotted in his car, pulls into a grove of sycamore trees and parks. They all sit there for about 15 minutes in a closed car together. Finally, George says she would like some exercise, which turns in to them all doing detective work. George, uh, several times in this book, can't sit still for longer than 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Carson says, well, you know, they yes, they have big metal gates, but don't worry. They're just for show. Those gates are going to close. No! I, <laughs> I know this house. This is where it gets irresponsible. That's great. He tells Wes and George to go up the right side of the driveway and do some sleuthing. Real Scooby-Doo moment. What clues, by the way? They don't have any idea what they're looking for. If you do see him leaving the house, give our bird call warning. That's right. In this book, we have established, already known about, bird call warnings. Two bird calls. It's a complex code, apparently. And then they're supposed to run as fast as they can back to the car. If you hear two goddamn birds, you run. Bess and George set off. It was dark. They're stumbling over roots. Bess wishes for a flashlight, but George assures her that if they had one, they'd be seen. Bess is afraid and says she doesn't like this. What if there's guard dogs? What are the odds? Come on, guard dog. Oh, don't be silly. Suddenly, Bess let out a scream. There is a body hanging from one of the trees in this forest. I don't always give Bess credit for her screams, but I think that... That's pretty, yeah... George turned a little squeamish herself, but decided to investigate. She went over, felt the object, and then laughed softly. It's only a stuffed dummy. But Bess is still horrified. Why does this guy have a stuffed... In June. Like, have your Halloween decorations down by June, Carl. That was my first thought, is that (laughs) Bess would never make it to the back wall of a spirit Halloween. Because even with it being fake, she's like, I want to leave. This yeah. is this is a terrible portent of things to come. It's sinister. Well, George says, don't worry. I think this is for boxing. You mean like football players use in practice? Bess asked. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Bess was right about there being a guard dog. Eventually, a tall, slender woman walks out of the house with a mastiff on a leash. Probably having heard the screams. I told you they'd have a watchdog, Bess groaned. Bess gets in her I told you so this time. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Carson and Nancy walked the other way up the driveway, snooped around a five-car garage filled with automobiles. They recognized the car that Monsieur LeBlanc was driving earlier. He must be home. They deduced that, yeah, he's gotta be here. They spy through his windows and eventually are able to listen in to one of his phone conversations in his office. I told you the money was stolen, the financier said. If I did not have the money, what was the use of my coming? Another long pause. LeBlanc said firmly, Now listen, people are beginning to show some suspicion. I will have to be more careful. There followed a long silence. It is against my better judgment. Let us not do anything more for a few days. Nancy was hardly breathing. 
She did not want to lose one word that this enigmatic financier was saying. LeBlanc's voice grew angry. Why can't you wait? I know you said nine was coming up, but even the thought of it brought me bad luck. Every cent I had with me was taken. The next pause was so long that Mr. Drew and Nancy began to wonder if the caller had hung up. Finally, they heard Monsieur LeBlanc say in a resigned tone, Very well, then. I will go to the orange garden. Love you. Bye. It isn't until he sits down with a book in his comfiest chair that Nancy and Carson are like, No, he's not going out tonight. Yeah. Well, Mr. Drew says, We can't keep watching him read. You guys have to go to the Bardot's tomorrow. Reluctantly, Nancy started back with her father. She has to be, like, peeled away. Just then, they heard a series of deep-throated barks. That's the little blog's guard dog. Said Mr. Carson, Drew said. who knew about it? <laughs> yeah, why didn't you warn them about a mastiff? Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, he does know the place, like the back of his hand. Not only that, but the gates have been locked. Oh, weird. <laughs> I guess he didn't know this place so well, Carson. <laughs> there was no escape. This is bad, Mr. Drew exclaimed. So he basically throws all three girls over the wall before scurrying over himself. And losing a pant cuff to the Mastiff in the... in the Yeah, who is pulled away from the lady. So luckily... He's just, yeah, he's just loose on a leash. The lady does not see that they've been there. You'd think... Now, okay, so if Nancy were on the other side of this thing, mm -hmm. that pant cuff would lead her straight to Carson. <laughs> luckily, there is no other detective because it does not come up again. We don't even get to hear how he replaced his pants. Carson has a good laugh hearing about the punching bag in the forest. <laughs> huh, I've been calling him the frightened financier, but maybe I'll have to change it to the fighting financier. Okay, Dad, I know you got a lot of adrenaline. <laughs> Settle it down. So now they just have to find out why Louis Aubert has such a hold over Charles LeBlanc. And also the dream mystery. It's fine. It's fine. Well, you know Mr. Drew always thinks of everything except for the guard dog. And the gates. And he's rented a car for Nancy, Bess, and George to take out to the country. Ooh. Yes. Right, because they haven't even gone to the house that they're exchanging with yet. Yeah, this is their first day there. They've been staying at what? The, just a hotel? Yeah, just a hotel in Paris. He also pulls a letter from his pocket with some news that Hannah Gruen sent. Nancy excused herself and read the letter. Apparently... The Bardot sisters are very popular and have made some warm friends. And the police caught the stilt walker. Oh, good. He had been paid, he said, by a James Chase to do the job. Sure. Also, Mrs. Blair had called up and told Hannah the name of the governess was Mademoiselle Lucille Manon. She just goes back to the diaries and it was there all along. Oh, sure. How's that for a marvelous clue, asks Nancy. Pretty good. I, that's about as good as pretty good. a clue comes. The Bardos insist on speaking French, even though they can speak English, because they think it'll help Nancy with her sleuthing. And though she was not able to read the ancient French of our last book, regular French is fine. Yeah, all three girls are fluent in French. They get to meet a miniature black poodle named Fifi. They also get to see its unusual dog bed. The most unusual dog bed they'd ever seen. I feel more offended that Togo was not mentioned in this book because Fifi is doted upon. Yeah. Why wasn't he barking when the fire came in? Yeah. Or the burglar alarms went off? Well, because just like Fifi has her own golden kennel, Togo's got a basement. 
I assumed he was on vacation visiting on Aunt Eloise. Eloise again. Well, they certainly didn't. They stopped by New York, but didn't say a word to her. So the most unusual dog bed is a square frame surrounding a blue satin cushion. The frame is made of gilded wood with an arched canopy of blue velvet. And the headboard is covered in blue and white striped satin. It was built in the early 18th century. Apparently, Madame Bardot just washes this Fifi's feet off every time she comes in the house and just like lovingly grooms her constantly. So it's okay that she's using an antique bed. See, this is the repurposed bed of a, of a child prince. <laughs> Nancy had decided it would be wise not to mention her father's case and had instructed Bess and George not to. The Bardots have heard about the Orange Garden. They know that it's at the Palace of Versailles. Oh, the classic Versailles Orange Garden. It's always nice when you can combine your sightseeing with your sleuthing. Nancy is disappointed to hear that there aren't 99 steps in every flight of stairs. There are actually 103. Close enough. That's close enough to 99, George declared. It's worth investigating, Nancy agreed. So they come to the Palace of Versailles. They go to see Louis IX's bedroom. Now, this guy's name is Louis Albert. He's obsessed with nine. Oh, yeah. Okay, I just got that. Yeah. George comments on the bedroom, it's absolutely magnificent, but it sure doesn't look like a man's room. Nancy has to remind her that in the past, things were a little different. Why isn't this room filled with (laughs) posters for ACDC and and metal? That's when they leave the palace. They count the steps, and on the 99th step, there's a black chalk mark saying M9. (gasps) M9? Monsieur Neuf? Clearly a message from him. But what about? We don't know. This must be a meeting place, they decide. So they go to wait to see if anyone arrives. Well, once again, George can't sit Mm -hmm. for more than 10 minutes without needing to walk around. She decides she's going to climb the steps again. Maybe she can help somehow by going out in the open while they spy. Well, the chalk mark has been erased (gasps) from the step. Not only that, she notices a door in the palace is being opened. No one comes out, and she wonders if the girls are being spied upon. I must find out, she determines, and runs across the terrace, only to be grabbed by the crook of a cane. Like she had just messed up a vaudeville performance. And pulled violently in by the neck into this palace. Bess shrieked, and Nancy gasped. George was a prisoner. Whose and why? (laughs) Not only that, but the door is locked. This is when Nancy has to negotiate. Well, yeah, he's like, we're closed. And she's Mm. like, my friend is in there. Mm. He's like, no, she's not. No, we definitely saw her get pulled in here. Can we look? She knew he was wondering if she had absolutely gone mad. This is serious, she said. I'm not fooling. Please, my friend is in danger. Suddenly, the guards seemed to sense that perhaps Nancy was telling the truth. (laughs) When they race up the staircase and do not see any kidnapped girls or 'er ne'er-do-wells, the guard gave Nancy a look of disgust. How dare you? I do not like people who play jokes. Nancy was at her wit's end. Here's proof, she says, pointing to a button on the ground that belongs to George's shirt. Anybody could have dropped that button. But now the guard is convinced. He's on board. Right then, they see a man in uniform dash by. 
there aren't supposed to be any other men in uniform other than this guard. That's weird. Mm-hmm. What a fake. So they chase him. He disappears, but they do notice he's not carrying George. So they're like, well, he's probably left her behind somewhere. They discover her knocked out, sleeping peacefully on the bed of King Louis the Ninth himself. Yeah. And I love the fear mm-hmm. because Nancy sees George and she doesn't just think, oh, she's asleep on the bed. She thinks, I hope what she is is quote unquote asleep, pretty clearly telegraphing that she might be dead. Mm-hmm. George opened her eyes. She looked around wildly, murmuring, where am I? <laughs> Somehow, George's neck being pulled by a cane knocked her the heck out. Apparently that's how it works. A doctor is brought to make sure George is okay. Does yeah, just ice it. Suddenly George burst out laughing. This is so ridiculous. I can't believe it really happened. Between gills of birth, she said, imagine me sleeping in Louis the Ninth's bed. Everyone laughed. <laughs> but also like that's not great for antiques, right? No, that's like, got to be a problem. If you ever, if you ever yeah. been to one of these places, yeah. like you're getting oils on it and everything. Yeah. <laughs> George's eyes became so filled with tears of merriment that she had to wipe them away. On the sheets, no doubt. I mean, I see it being kind of funny. I, I would be like, this is so weird. But I do not think I would laugh to the point of crying over it. But maybe she's just relieved she's still alive. As is Nancy. As she pulled a handkerchief from the pocket of her blouse, a folded sheet of paper fluttered to the floor. (gasps) Somebody put this note in my pocket. It's another warning. You girls mind your own business or grave consequences will come to you. The Red King. Oh my god, another name. After some sleuthing, George insisted that she felt much better. Let's get back to Bess. She's probably frantic. Bess has been outside as, like, doctors have been going in. (laughs) Can you imagine? Just like the police. A man in uniform runs past. Yeah. He has a long face. Arms flopping all over the place. (laughs) That night after dinner, Nancy asked the Bardos where Josette Blair had lived as a child. Only a few miles away. Very convenient for the sleuthing, right? Not a big country. Nancy stops at the old house the next day. The DuPonts now live there. They know that she lived there. They don't know anything about her. They know that the governess, like, showed up five years ago to say hi, (laughs) but, like, they don't know her name. They're friendly, but they're not helpful. (laughs) Yeah. The one clue they give Nancy is they happen to know the former governess married Louis (gasps) Aubert. That's a pretty big clue. (laughs) I'm starting to wonder if these mysteries connect. The DuPont's maid overheard all this, and she gives them a wild goose chase. It's so frustrating, the whole wild goose chase. This woman had a professor whose name was Aubert. She happens to know that he has a wife. Clearly, Mr. Nine is a professor by day. (laughs) And a long-armed alchemist by night. This is my favorite part. They all fangirl so hard over Joan the Ark. Joan of Ark. From the time I was a child, said Bess, Joan of Ark, the maid of Orleans, was one of my favorite heroines. George added, the idea of a girl soldier appeals to me. What terrific courage she had. That much of her story I do remember well. 
Nancy smiled. I wish we had Joan on this trip with us. She was a pretty good detective, too. I absolutely love the way they give little depictions of what are important to the girls. What a, you know, what a beautiful woman in history. Uh And George is like, and she was tough. And then Nancy's like, and a detective. Also of note that Bess knows the most about the history. Like we're getting scholarly Bess back. That's true. When they get to Orleans, Bess insists that they stop to see the statue of Jeanne d'Arc. That moment, they hear a marching tune. George says, wonder what's up. You guessed it, it's a parade. Well, they learn, Monsieur Albert happens to be the band leader in the parade. Now, the band leader usually comes first in the parade. So the girls are waiting. However, a boy decides he wants a better view and scurries up the pedestal of the statue and almost falls to his death. Joan of Arc basically slaps him off her pedestal. (laughs) Naturally, Nancy is on the job and catches him. And she's a hero. His mom is praising her and thanking her in French. Nancy is very embarrassed and annoyed by all this. Well, I think it's really good that they had a chance to, while in France, take a moment and, you know, really save the life. Wait, where'd the parade go? (laughs) Yeah, by the time they're able to refocus on the parade... It's passed. Albert has already passed. So frustrating. So frustrating! And not only that, but the police won't let them leave the area yet. (laughs) Yeah, apparently apparently in France it's illegal to leave a parade. Somebody overhears them talking about Madame Albert and says, oh, that's her over there. But they don't manage to catch her. We've had so many disappointments today, Bess said wistfully. Something good is bound to happen soon. (laughs) Right she is. I mean, that kid didn't die. That was nice. They decide they'll visit them tomorrow. Today they're going to sightsee. They go to a delightful little restaurant that serves a fish stew called Massalote, or Massalote, probably, not Spanish pronunciation. It was served with a frothy white butter sauce, to which had been added a dash of vinegar and shallots. Mm. For dessert, they had plum tarts, which on the menu were listed as tart aux prunes. And, I mean, that has to be the meal of the book. Why do you love the Scottish one, but the French one, you're like, meh. <laughs> Is, are those, like, especially French foods? Yeah. I really, if I was thinking French foods, I would think, uh, you know, snail pate and a whole fish. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's more old-fashioned, I think. I don't know, though. Different parts of France. So, the stout, friendly owner came out to chat with the visitors. And he's talking about how in the olden days, people ate more. Oh, in, oh, in medieval times, we had great feasts, and now everyone's dieting. Like, he thinks it's cool enough that he has printed the banquet menu on the back of the menu. Yeah. The banquet menu from a party that was once thrown. And let me read you my meal of the book. Nine oxen. Eight sheep. Eighteen calves. Eighty suckling pigs. One hundred kids. 150 capons, 200 chickens, 120 other fowl, (laughs) 80 geese, 60 partridges, 70 woodcock, 200 other game, and 3,000 eggs. (laughs) Now that's an omelet. Wow, George exclaimed. Even food-loving Bess said the idea made her feel squeamish. Oh, really, Bess? 3,000 eggs too many for you? Not a big fan of other fowl? 
as they're looking at the statue of Joan of Arc uh, and admiring the expression on her face. Oh, this one's more saintly than the other one, mm. which was more soldiery. Suddenly, Nancy hears a bonjour. Bonjour, 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 bonjour. Nancy turned. Henry, she exclaimed. Where did you come from? Boyfriend of the book. He basically, like, tracked her down. And he's like, hey, I hope you and your friends aren't too busy to take a ride with me. And your friends are like, we are. Bets and George graciously declined, but urged Nancy to go ahead. So Nancy and Henry go on a boat ride. They paddled in and out of various small coves. Uh, Nancy was enchanted. Her companion proved to be humorous and told of his life as a student at the famous Sorbonne in Paris. Someday I hope to be a lawyer, he grinned. Nancy likes that. Then I shall give you some mysteries to solve. Ooh, Nancy likes that. Henry said Madame Tremaine had told him confidentially that Nancy was an amateur sleuth. I can't wait for your first assignment, she said, her eyes twinkling. This is the first boyfriend of the book that I think seriously is competition for Ned. It's, but it's, yeah, but it's vacation love. I mean, that's the thing. He can be serious because he's in France. Yeah, but you know, it's a dream. This is the first guy that sounds as good as Ned, maybe better. Yeah. Like, maybe a better match for Nancy, honestly. If Ned could up his game and become a lawyer and give Nancy cases and truly replace Carson Drew in her life... That'd be ideal. They get back to the dock. A man comes out and says, Hey, your dad's calling. Henry's like, Oh, wow, my dad certainly guessed where I would be. Ha ha ha. But almost as soon as he had left, a rowboat slid out from under the dock and bumped the canoe. Startled, Nancy turned to look squarely into the face of a heavily bearded man. Instinct told her to flee, and she started to scramble to the dock. Oh, no, you don't, the man said gruffly. You are trying to solve a dream. Well, I will give you something to dream about. Maybe just think through what you're going to say before you say it. Just do a little planning. Nancy started to scream, but the stranger reached up and covered her mouth in one hand. With the other, he slapped her face so hard she fell dazed into the water. I mean, insane, right? You've talked about before how Nancy Drew novels went through phases of where it was okay for physical violence to happen Mm. and then where it wasn't. But, like, this is pretty violent. And assuming that this is Claude, this is Mr. Nine, Mm -hmm. imagine the force of that whip of an arm. (laughs) <laughs> flying around, <laughs> slapping her in the... I mean, that's bad. The cold water shocked Nancy back to semi-consciousness. She automatically held her breath and plunged. Rising again, she tried to swim, but had no strength to do so. So she just has to, like, float, to float there. and keep herself awake until Henry comes back. Nancy, he cried. I'm all right, just weak, she replied. <laughs> But luckily, Nancy just needs some coffee. To add insult to injury, Henry's dad wasn't even calling him. No, it was a plot to get her by herself. The boat owner calls the police. So now the French police are involved. Henry blames himself. I shouldn't have left you alone. Women should never be left alone. Yeah, he's got a complex now. Henry dropped the bedraggled girl at her hotel. (laughs) That sounds so weird. Bye. (laughs) 
George and Bess began to tease her about Henry having dunked her in the river, but they soon sobered as Nancy unfolded her story. Hey, Nancy, you have a lot of fun in your date? <laughs> well, someone tried to kill me. I'm sorry, what? It does seem, George remarked, as if you aren't safe anywhere, Nancy. And what did he mean about the dream? What did he mean about the dream? George, keep up. I'm solving a dream. <laughs> I guess he found out somehow about Mrs. Blair's dream. I didn't notice anything but his whiskers. I'll bet they were false, George declared. Indeed they were. It is one of the more insane details of the book of like, how did he even find out she had this dream? All the way from France, he finds out that Mrs. Blair had a dream. It was snooping. In the end, it was just a servant paid sometimes by Aubert to do spying for him. And he overheard a phone call. He knew Carson was coming. He spied on Carson. Mm. That spying led to Nancy. That spying led to the woman with the dream. That woman happened to have information vaguely <laughs> about him. So he threatens her. Because, like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> they finally track down Professor Aubert's home, which is a small bungalow. Were they finally to face their enemy, Monsieur Louis Albert? Mr. Nine, the Green Lion, the Red King. Nancy's ring was answered by a man who was definitely not the suspect. Ugh, short-armed bastard. Luckily, this professor does happen to know a lot about alchemy. Alchemy, yeah. So he gives them another lesson. When he gives them the chemical symbol for mercury, Bess says that it looks like a queer little scarecrow in a smushed hat <laughs> and uh and we can throw this up when we live tweet this but it does it does you might think professor albert couldn't do much but teach them alchemy he has also received louis albert's mail on accident several times because they do in fact have the same name and since they're always typed with just the address and no return address, he always thinks they're to him, so he opens them and reads them. He translated one of Aubert's letters to mean, turn all gold to silver quickly with mercury. He says, it's very odd to correspond in this manner. <laughs> the writer must also be interested in alchemy. <laughs> Nancy herself had the exact same idea. Not only was Monsieur Neuf the mysterious chemist, but his brother might be one also. It's a whole family of chemists. <laughs> Professor Albert also lets them know that the number nine was considered a sign of immortality. Every multiple of nine's digits add up to nine, or they add up to a multiple of nine, which then if you add again, adds up to nine. The it's girls cool. were fascinated and would have loved to hear more, but Nancy said they had taken up enough of the Albert's time. No more math. We gotta go. Bess still thinks that Louis Albert, alias Mr. Nine, has cast some kind of a spell over Monsieur LeBlanc. And all this alchemy business sounds like black magic. Yeah, burn him at the stake. I'm with you. Chemists, burn him. <laughs> George scoffed at the idea. I think Monsieur Neuf is just a plain crook who's robbing Monsieur LeBlanc unmercifully. All we have to do is prove it. A big order, Nancy knit her brow. I feel what we must do now is find Lucille Manon Aubert. I have a hunch she is the key that will unlock at least one mystery. When they get home, Madame Bardot is crying. Fifi, my poodle is missing. It, so she's just lost. No, no, no. Well, she's stolen. 
No, how could anyone get in? She is neither lost nor stolen. She's disappeared. <laughs> Nancy searches everywhere and finally finds her in the attic. Drugged. Unconscious. The vet comes and says, oh, she'll be fine tomorrow, but she's going to sleep till then. She's been drugged. The police come. Really kind of puts a hole in that no one could get in theory. Like, someone had to do this. Nancy proved her mettle by noticing that the door was probably jimmied. The kitchen door. The handle stuck slightly, Mm -hmm. which meant that the thief must have tried so many keys to get in that he, like, damaged the lock a bit. Is that how that works? Mm -hmm. The police, the French police seem to think so. Nancy says, therefore, you must have been robbed. Sure enough, all of Mrs. O'Abert's gold jewelry has been stolen. But... Her husband says, no big deal, you never wore that stuff. True. But only the gold jewelry, not the money... Mm-hmm. Not any of the other things. Well, also the gold spoons. Only gold, basically. And the gold baby cups. It's a thing. Okay. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> I never have babies over, so. What could an alchemist want with gold? Oh, there's literally no answer. Stop looking for one. It makes no sense. Mr. Drew calls to inform them that LeBlanc has served notice that his factory is closing down in a month. His employees are in a dither. What a weird way to say devastated. I don't seem to be making much headway, says Carson, but I have invited Monsieur LeBlanc to luncheon today. I hope to find out something without his becoming suspicious. He also informs Nancy that a letter came from Marie and Monique, and they have some news of special interest. I guess people can't hear me leaning forward in my chair, but I'm excited. The night police guard presently in charge of Claude Aubert, who understood French, had heard him talking in his sleep. He said, hillside, woods, runes, go chamb. I, you know, if the mystery comes from a dream, then surely the answer will come from a dream. It's only a guess on my part, said Monsieur Bardot, but I think the chamb could be Chambord, that is one of the loveliest chateaux in the Lower Valley. Nancy also finally thinks, maybe I should visit those haunted runes I was told about. Oh yeah, the haunted runes! (laughs) That definitely seems like the thing that should have been searched first. Yeah, after you check the person in the village who knows everything, go to the ghost. Well, they try to go visit the chateau, but Nancy's brakes won't work. (laughs) Someone got them. She uh, has no choice but to drive into the road and almost be ran into by another motorist who curses at them a bunch in French, tells them they're horrible, and will not listen to their side, just drives off. Nancy manages to get the car back into the driveway somehow. The Bardos are like, take our car, we don't care. They don't know how quickly Nancy goes through cars, though. Nancy thinks it's quite possible that Albert cut their brakes, because after all, he is a scientist. And they know about (laughs) things like brakes. (laughs) He turned my brakes to gold. So this is where they arrive just in time for Chambord to be closing for the day. Nancy has to flirt her way into a special tour. Did they get any clues out of this? I can't remember if this they is interesting. They discover nothing. Yeah. So after that, the girls decide to walk through the streets of Chambord. They had not gone far before Bess complained, I have the strangest feeling we're being watched. It makes me nervous. They discover they're being followed by two boys. Probably purse snatchers. Nancy hurried into a pharmacy, and they followed her inside. She tells the pharmacist that she's interested in chemistry and believes a brilliant chemist lives somewhere in the vicinity. Nancy 
could perceive that the two boys seemed to lose interest in the conversation. Do you think the pharmacist, when she said that, was like, oh, well, I do my best. Thank you. Oh, not me. Oh, cool. Cool. No, that's fine. I'm a chemist, but that's fine. Nancy asks a random passerby if there are any interesting runes outside of town. We, oui, mademoiselle, the friendly man replied, but he doesn't think they should go there alone. There are tramps there, and your ladies and ladies and tramps don't go together. <laughs> Bess spoke up promptly. Definitely we're not going there, Nancy. I can't let you take such awful chances. Your father would never forgive me and George. Just as Nancy gets in the car, she notices a white sports sedan roaring down the street, driven by... Monsieur LeBlanc. Where's he going? Let's follow him, says Nancy. He was driving at such a terrific speed that Nancy felt wary. George did not feel wary. 99 miles per hour? Step on it, she says. Bess had another idea. If we have a blowout, goodbye to us, she warned. So Nancy kind of compromises. She doesn't drive as fast as she could. And then finally, when he goes around a sharp curve... She's not going to do it. So they lose him. It's not even her convertible. That's true. Why did she take all those risks in a car that wasn't even hers? However, the girls spotted a narrow dirt lane through the woods and noticed that there were some tire tracks on it. That might be his Investigation car. time. So Nancy says, that's okay. We'll walk. Bess complained that her feet were hurting, but they keep walking. They finally come to some rooms. A tumbled down mass of stone and mortar. The tire tracks ended abruptly, yet there was no car in sight. Bess looks around nervously, remembering there might be tramps. But Nancy notices some stone steps leading into the ground. Very excited for this. She assumed they had once led to a cellar, or perhaps even a dungeon. As she counts down 35 steps, she meets a knight in shining armor. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay, there's a statue here. Nay. He's brandishing a sword. Halt, or I will run you through, says. I'll fucking kill you. Bess turned and fled. Nancy and George hold the ground. She leaves her friends behind. (laughs) He again warns them not to come any further. But But Nancy's like, no, no. This time... His voice seemed a bit unsteady. I hear a tremor, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna exploit that real quick. Come now, sir knight, stop playing games. Yeah, it's just a twelve-year-old boy whose dad gave him a, a suit of armor as a toy. Nancy asks, "Are there any other runes?" Oh just yeah, the haunted ones. Yeah, the haunted ones across the way, Chateau Lore, like you been meaning to visit funny things happen there says the boy like what george questions oh explosions and smoke coming out of the rune and sometimes you can hear singing things turn into gold you know things it is a lady's voice everybody believes she is a ghost because it turns out to just be mrs albert Mm -hmm. just like singing who has been singing there for like three decades or whatever yeah like she's very lonely clearly yeah yeah not a great relationship (laughs) yeah you know what don't date an alchemist i'm gonna say it Mm -hmm. don't date an alchemist and the whole time she believes her husband is on the verge of a scientific discovery Mm -hmm. but of course he's just a criminal they leave pierre laughing nancy suddenly puts together that tomorrow is going to be the 18th which is a significant day if if you're obsessed with nine any reason it would be (gasps) eight plus one is nine The magic number. Bess's eyes opened wide with fear. Please, let's get out of here fast. We can come back tomorrow and bring the police. 
We'll need proof, Bess. <laughs> well, Nancy says, are you willing to go? Bess gulped hard and nodded. Mm-hmm. So they find a woman who is singing one of the madrigals that Marie and Monique Bardot sang. And they try to chase her down, but she disappears. Maybe she's a ghost. Like a ghost. What puzzles me is, said Nancy, if she is Mrs. Blair's former governess, how did she get mixed up with a crook like Louis Albert? The same way we've seen so many women. He's burying. Yeah, just they marry. The girls became aware of a faint roaring sound coming from the bottom of these steps. Nancy was very excited. Intuition told her she had found the right 99 steps. This is a fancy way of saying she didn't want to count. (laughs) I must go down there, she exclaimed. Not alone, says George. Bess did not want to participate in the venture. (laughs) Bess is like, or at all, ideally? You know what you promised your father, and frankly, I'm scared. George snorted. Oh, Bess, don't be such a spoil sport. (laughs) This could be Nancy's big chance to crack the mystery. Come down 99 stairs into the ground where it explodes, okay? Just do it, Bess. Tell you what, Bess, Nancy says. You be the guard. Remember our special bird call? Yep. All right, but don't go so far underground you can't hear me if I have to use it. When Nancy reached the bottom, she could hardly keep from shouting for joy. She had counted exactly 99 99. steps. They find a medieval lab, a fully equipped lab in the basement. You know, everything you could need for doing science. A rack to stretch people out on, (laughs) um, a big cauldron, eye of newt, I don't know. What amazed the girls most, however, was a man in Arab garb standing sideways at one of the benches. Nancy and George watched this man put some gold into a lump of charcoal and cover it up so that it looks like just a lump of charcoal. This isn't done in a particularly graceful way. He's described as taking a knife to the charcoal and just carving it out right then and there. Yeah. You'd think you'd go about it kind of carefully, maybe Mm. make a small incision, but whoever he's fooling with this clearly isn't checking very carefully he's just so casual about the whole thing like at the end he finishes this and then immediately puts it down and leaves yeah (laughs) there's my gold charcoal (laughs) the girls were wondering what their next move should be when they heard Bess give the secret bird call the sound came loud and clear and was instantly repeated and the double call meant someone is coming hide george says hide but where But no one said anything. So this is how it goes. Caw! Caw! Hide? But where? (laughs) Which is just weird. That's weird to do. They go and hide behind several large bins that hold logs and charcoal. And who should come in but Monsieur Leblanc? The Arab walks back in through the rear entrance. Monsieur, you are welcome, but are you not a day early? Tomorrow is the magic number day, but it is well that you came. Suddenly his manner changed. He added gruffly, I cannot wait longer. Monsieur LeBlanc's face took on a frightened expression. What do you mean? The robed chemist replied. I have finished my last experiment. Now I can turn anything into gold. Anything? The financier grew pale. Yes. Surely you do not doubt my power. You have seen me change silver into gold before your very eyes. I beg you to wait before announcing your great discovery. I will be ruined. The gold standard of the world will tumble. What does that matter? The Arab's eyes glittered. Gold, gold, all is to be gold, he cried out, (laughs) rubbing his hands gleefully. The 
Red King shall reign! And when everything is gold, the metal will no longer be rare and precious! The value of money will collapse! He laughed out loud! What the heck? Because <laughs> he's ending capitalism! Yeah, I, I mean, you, you'd think that it's like, oh, post-scarcity or something, but no. In this fiction he's creating... He doesn't want to make himself rich. He doesn't want to go post-scarcity. He doesn't want to help humanity. He just wants there to be lots of gold. He's got the gold fever, Carl. (laughs) Makes it even stupider that Monsieur LeBlanc believes him. Yeah, and then LeBlanc's just like, my role is to put off the economic apocalypse as long as possible so I can at least get my securities straight. Yeah. So I'm not going to lose my money when all of the world goes under because of the lack of the gold standard. These are the two reasons that LeBlanc has been withdrawing all his money from the bank, taking all of his securities and selling them. There are two things he's been using his money on. One thing is to pay this chemist to not release his inventions until later. Mm-hmm. The other thing has been to buy precious gems. Raw, uncut diamonds. Because he is determined that that will be the new currency. Your faith in me will be profitable. He proceeds to get out hot mercury, which first of all... Yikes. And puts the charcoal in there. And voila, he's made gold. Yeah. uh, You never knew that it was mercury combined with charcoal. If only those alchemists had ever tried, had ever tried they that were, combo. If they ever had just, you know, <laughs> popped a thermometer into the fire. Working with mercury, uncovered, boiling in a subterranean laboratory. You have to wonder if Mr. Nine has started to buy what he's selling. Like, <laughs> he might be going a little bit crazy. I think he is. No matter what he is, right? Yeah. Because the whole thing, he's been doing this operation for like a while. I mean, decades. And then he ruins it by going after Nancy Drew. Yep. That's (laughs) that's how it happens. Monsieur LeBlanc is very impressed by this production of gold. Wow. George looked disgusted and Nancy said to herself, that faker. He has Monsieur LeBlanc completely bamboozled. Why doesn't he see through the trick? Yeah, why doesn't he? Mercury poisoning. Is it so hard to believe that a very wealthy man is also very stupid? Elon Musk. (laughs) Both girls had a strong desire to jump up and expose the whole procedure. I was literally at that moment thinking what I would do, and I'm like, I would be so tempted to just be like, dude, I saw him put that gold in that lump of coal. Yeah. (laughs) Nancy was afraid the swindler would break away from them and decided that it would be better for the police to arrest him. Monsieur LeBlanc does pay Aubert with a large roll of franc notes. Take these, but I beg of you, do not make your announcement yet. I will come at this same time tomorrow with more money. LeBlanc must really think this alchemist is very stupid and mad. Like, that must be his idea of this alchemist. Because why does the alchemist want all of this cash when he's about to ruin the world economy? I hope you can turn cash into uh, gold if you just put it in mercury. I will give you 24 hours. This time, the price of my silence will be $5,000. Apparently, this does not even make LeBlanc blink. I mean, that's not that much. Yeah. For the economy. 
As a matter of fact, he looked relieved. I do it for the economy. <laughs> we must run, Nancy exclaimed, and notify my father immediately The Monsieur LeBlanc is being swindled. So they do. When they get home, the Bardos are like, something's up. These girls look very excited. <laughs> and Nancy just tells them everything. She decides the time of confidentiality on her father's case is over. Yeah, he's good. He's fine. <laughs> she will not call the police, however, without talking to her dad first. So there's a whole boring part where she's trying to get a hold of him. Nancy is afraid that her father's in danger. Resolutely, she shook off her worry. Surely Carson Drew would not easily be caught off guard. It's never been true. She finally gets a hold of him, but he doesn't sound cheerful enough for her. I'm leaving here at once, he told his daughter glumly. I will come directly to see you. A sudden idea flashed into Nancy's mind. Why don't you bring Monsieur LeBlanc along? <laughs> I have some exciting things to tell you, which I am sure will interest him too. LeBlanc is very happy to see Nancy again. Nancy greeted Monsieur LeBlanc graciously, and then she excuses herself and takes her father aside to tell him what's really going on. Yeah, yeah. He gets to know first. He earned it. Nancy suggests that they tell the financier the whole story from beginning to end. Then I think he should keep his date with the Arab this afternoon and turn the money over to him as planned. Best George, you and I will go with some police officers and hide inside the lab. We can pounce on Louis Albert at the proper moments or whoever this faker is. Weird that Nancy, having seen Louis take off his Arabic costume, knowing that Louis is the man posing as an Arab, is still calling him the Arab? Mr. Drew smiled affectionately at his daughter and put an arm around her. I like your idea very much, Nancy. I promised you a lovely gift from Paris. Now I think I ought to give you half my fee. Nancy's eyes twinkled. Only half, she teased. Nancy whispers to Madame Bardot that she should find places for her servants to be that afternoon. So they won't overhear any of this planning. Sure. As soon as they were gone, Mr. Drew said, Monsieur LeBlanc, my daughter has an amazing story to tell you. It finally affects your financial holdings and perhaps even your life. I bet you won't even guess what affects my financial holdings. <laughs> For I know that soon the gold stand... What? It's, oh, he was a what? The man's eyebrows raised. This sounds ominous. Miss Drew is such a charming young lady. I cannot think of her as having anything so sinister to tell me. Bess burst out. Nancy's wonderful, and she's one of the best detectives in the world. You watch your mouth, you French bastard. Monsieur LeBlanc clapped a hand to his head. A detective, he exclaimed. Do you mean to say you have discovered why I am selling my securities? What a jump. Nancy smiled sympathetically. I believe I have. He doesn't believe her until he's like, yeah, we hid behind some bins. That's why those bins were giggling? <laughs> oh, that, that really explains it. LeBlanc sat silently for fully a minute, his head buried in his hands. Finally, he spoke up. To think I, of all persons, have been duped. You, of all persons, are not very smart, LeBlanc. <laughs> well, it is only fair I give you my story. In the first place, if this chemist is actually someone named Louis Albert, I do not know it. To me, the man is Abdul Ramos. I never saw him in any other clothes than Arabian. Well, that was a trick. 
Monsieur LeBlanc said that Abdul had come to his office one day a couple of months before and showed him several very fine letters from Frenchmen, as well as from Arabs, attesting to his marvelous experiments. Forgeries. Nancy at once realizes they were forgeries. Abdul wanted financial backing for a great laboratory. I was convinced he knew how to turn certain things into gold. How could I have been so foolish? I don't think anyone can answer that question. <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't know how you could know. If you... <laughs> I want backing for alchemy is up there with I'd like to sell you a bridge. You know, <laughs> you should know this one. Mr. Drew remarked, that explains the large quantity of uncut diamonds you bought recently. Yeah, it does. The Frenchman looked surprised but did not comment. Nancy spoke up. Also, you figured that diamonds would replace gold as the world standard. Precisely. I realize now that my self-interest is unforgivable. It was neither patriotic nor humanitarian. Instead, I've been unforgivably greedy. Does it count as insider trading if what you know is that a supervillain is about to tank the world's economy? Thank you for showing me up. This has been a great lesson to me, and I shall certainly make amends for it. This is definitely the apology of a man who has not been ruined by the results of his actions. <laughs> he clearly still has money. So he explains that Abdul Ramos knew a great deal about astrology and the magic of numbers. He convinced me that on the 9th, 18th, and 27th days of each month, new secrets were revealed to him, and he threatened to announce his discoveries to the world. I feel like it sounds more like he knew about the magic of gullibility. The fact that he had access to a multiplication table doesn't mean he had special knowledge of the number nine. All I can say is I am very sorry. I was foolish to let that man control me and cause so much worry. He shook his head sadly. Am I stupid? I will be glad to cooperate in any way. Mm. Everything seems to be going as planned. They're in their little hiding places. Them and a small battalion of police yes, behind the barrels. Yep, yep, these are big barrels. <laughs> in enters Monsieur LeBlanc. Ah, I see you were on time, Monsieur, he said smugly with a little bow. The financier reached into his pocket and brought out a roll of bills. He did not hand them over at once, however, saying, Do you agree to a waiting period in return for this? Have I not always kept my word? Abdul said haughtily. Not even his name. Why? How much more time do you wish before I reveal my great work to the world? He asked. At least a week, Monsieur LeBlanc replied. A week, Abdul repeated, and began to walk around the room. LeBlanc knows that there's about to be an arrest. Mr. Nine knows that they're hiding to arrest him. Who is this negotiation for? So he goes, and they think he's going to leave. The hidden group could see him reach and heard something click. Nancy wondered if he had used a secret latch to lock the door, and why. Were they all in danger, Carl? Hard to say. Suddenly, he gazed at the fire, and with a brisk movement, picked up a small sack from a bench. He hastened to the rear door, opened it, and whirled about, his eyes held a menacing gleam. LeBlanc, he cried out, <laughs> you have double-crossed me. I love when a villain accuses their victim of double-crossing. Double to <laughs> yeah. report the guy. Yeah. Like, like, I might have 
made you a victim, but you double-crossed me. Yeah, if we were on the same side, <laughs> you were scamming me. LeBlanc, you have double-crossed me. I know you have spies hiding in this room because I followed you to the Bartos. But I shall not be caught. Every one of you shall perish without warning. I mean, I think that was a warning. That was a pretty big warning. <laughs> the Arab threw the sack onto the furnace grate. Not an Arab. Then backed out, slammed the door, and bolted it from the other side. So we've got a bag of who knows what <laughs> on a fire in an unventilated subterranean <laughs> laboratory. Locked both doors. It's bad. It took but a fraction of a second for Nancy and the others trapped in the laboratory to realize the danger they faced. The sack hurled onto the furnace might explode at any moment. Or anything. Who knows what's in there? <laughs> Officer Beaumont jumped from his hiding place and made a grab for the bag. Fortunately, it had not yet ignited. He dropped it into a pail of water. Nancy exclaimed, We mustn't let that awful man, Abdul, get away. Not his name. You know that. But they were still prisoners. Nancy collected her wits. First, she thanked Beaumont for saving them all. Oh, good. You know what? First things first. <laughs> he shrugged this off and said, We will have to break down the door and go after that crazy fool. When trapped in this laboratory, instead of throwing together some chemicals to make an acid, instead of knowing a way to pick a lock, instead of anything Nancy Drew could do to have autonomy in this moment... Very disappointing to me. Setting up Louis Albert as very brilliant. He's finally a match for Nancy. And therefore he's able to actually trap her. Which is fine. but Yeah, I mean, which is great, actually. Mm. But what a triumph it would have then been if she'd thrown some of his charcoal and mercury together and turned the door into gold. I don't know. I don't even know. I'm no chemist, right? Monsieur LeBlanc, meanwhile, had collapsed and was lying on his back, apparently unable to get up. Sure. Bess is the only one who's noticed this and is trying to get some fresh water to revive him. <laughs> she uses some of her perfume. So yeah, the two policemen and Mr. Drew knock down the door. Nancy tries to follow the police officers, but Carson says, let those lawmen handle the job. The arrests happen off screen, Nancy. Beaumont was right when he called the faker crazy. No telling what he'll do. Mm -hmm. So Carson's with you. He thinks he's it gone a little mercury poisoning, yeah. yeah. The young sleuth became agitated at the delay, but only ten minutes had elapsed when they heard footsteps and voices in the corridor. Louis Aubert and the grayish blonde woman have been captured. She was the one who was singing the madrigals, Nancy exclaimed. The woman is going, my husband is a great scientist. He could not do anything wrong. She is completely in the dark. I mean, she does not know. She's a real LeBlanc about all this. She's like the first like wife that like truly did not know what was going on. And she's still kind of treated like a criminal. <laughs> we'll see about that, said Officer Beaumont. Anybody who wears a disguise and cheats people out of money by pretending he can turn almost anything into gold has a lot to answer for. <laughs> Uh, that's a, I mean, you're. That's a very specific way to feel, but you're right. Carew added to say nothing of threatening lives. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Madame Aubert said no more. Oh shit, that does sound like my husband. At first, Louis will not say anything. It is Louis Aubert, by the way. <laughs> Surprise. At first, he will not say anything, but then. The would-be scientist broke down and admitted to engineering the holdup 
of Monsieur LeBlanc, as well as practically all of the other charges against him. Best Proud of Nancy Sleuthing said, He has confessed to just about everything you suspected him of, even the canoe incident, and to hiring two boys to follow us and get information. I know that is. During this entire interrogation, as he reveals that he did do everything, that he threatened Nancy, that he sent helicopters to her house, that... Remember that one time there were snails on the menu? That was me. I made that happen. (laughs) His wife had been sitting on a bench, pale with shock. She kept daubing her eyes with a handkerchief and murmuring, I knew nothing about this. Nancy went over and sat down beside the distraught woman. The young sleuth had not forgotten she had a mystery of her own to solve. Jeez. It's yeah, another we... moment where you're like, oh, Nancy's going to have a heart and be comforting. No, we haven't touched our 99 steps mystery. I'm a friend of Mrs. Josette Blair. You were her governess many years ago. She has a recurring dream that frightens her. We thought perhaps you could explain the meaning of it. The woman looked puzzled. I haven't seen her since she was three. Yeah. 30 the, years ago. The dream dates back to that time. Yeah. The woman began to weep out loud. In a way, Louis was responsible for this. I suppose he has always mesmerized me. He was apparently a guest of Mrs. Blair's parents. While he was there staying at the chateau, the governess fell in love with him. As it was not considered proper for a guest and an employee to date, we had to meet secretly. Sure. Louis shows her this alchemy lab that he's created under the ground in these rooms. That he's had for, yeah, 30 years. Giant red flag, I think. <laughs> Second date, underground subterranean <laughs> laboratory. It became their meeting place. One day, she has no choice, apparently, but to bring Josette along. It's hard for a nanny to find a babysitter. Sometimes you gotta bring your three-year-old along, <laughs> yes. Even at the time, Louis Aubert is so paranoid and so afraid someone will find his laboratory. They blindfold this poor little three-year-old. And so terrified is she to be descending into the earth in a blindfold that her governess says, just count the stairs. Yeah, so that's why they count the stairs, which are 99. They specify she couldn't do it at three. We had to count for her. Just Also just carry a three-year-old, like carry her, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And as they leave, partially because Louis goes into a fit of paranoia and doesn't want him there anymore. Josette was still blindfolded. Just as she reached the top of the stairs, she lost her balance and started to fall. Louis caught her, but for a long time after that, poor little Josette used to cry out in her sleep. Mrs. Aubert lost her job as a governess because the mother suspected she might have something to do with these horrible dreams her kid was having. And it was true. The end. That's the, that's it. That's the mystery. So sure was Louis that even by mentioning 99 steps, mm-hmm. this three-year-old girl, 30 years later, mm-hmm. in America, yeah. would lead someone to his underground ruins. Yep. So naturally, he typed up on two different typewriters some warnings about it, sent his twin brother to America to scare people, and ultimately destroyed himself by getting Nancy Drew involved at all. So the officer takes her off for more questioning, with tears rolling down her cheeks. She says to Nancy as she leaves, Remember me to Mrs. Blair and tell her I loved her dearly. Nancy felt her own eyes becoming a little dewy. I'll be happy to, she replied. Just so much more emotion than we've seen Nancy display. Yeah, very sweet. 
I mean, but to be fair, this woman is completely innocent. Other than, you know, <sighs> dating a douchey guy. Yeah. Which, who hasn't? Well, Nancy says on a hunch, did you search that costume? And they hadn't. And once they do, they find all of the missing gold items that belonged to the Bardos. Hooray, he had all the gold in his pockets. Uh, well, the rest was hidden in the laboratory. Maybe sure. in those giant bins. Everyone looked at Nancy admiringly. The officers shook their heads, and Beaumont commented, Mademoiselle Drew, vous êtes merveilleux. George grinned. In other words, Nancy, you're the greatest. Oh. Boy, I don't even know if Nancy's ever going to have a chance to do a mystery like this ever again. Her words were to prove true again when Nancy met her next challenge in... The clue in the crossword cipher. It's going to be nice for Nancy to stay home for one of these. I wanted to see Nancy just solve a Sunday crossword. Nancy beckoned the others to precede her from the laboratory. Smiling, they all exchanged knowing glances. The young sleuth wanted to be the one to close the door to the mystery of the 99 steps. They knew she was doing a thing. That is so abstract. I would not have had any clue. I would have been the only clueless person just derping up the steps. No, I insist, Nancy. You can go oh, in front please, of me. Please, Nancy, go ahead. I'll <laughs> shut the door for you if you want me to. <laughs> oh. <sighs> well, it's true uh, in French as it is in English. Molwi Carl. Je m'appelle Hope. Ah. I know it. <laughs> Go, Go Wildcats! Wild <laughs> we might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a, we have a, there's a host of video games. We can, um, oh, I don't know, put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. <laughs> you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon, River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio. Twitter at River Heights FM. River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, apple podcast or spotify or stitcher or wherever you're listening yeah if you listen this far i mean why not we actually put a, a lot of hours in 